if you, the mom, the caregiver, thinks that something is wrong, something is probably wrong. Hello, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney, and today I'm thrilled to give you Tamika's special topic episode all about advocating for our children in a medical setting. Tamika followed her mama gut that something was off, not once, not twice, but three times in her daughter's lifetime of five years. And after fighting doctors tirelessly to give her testing, they discovered One time, severe sleep apnea, another time, severe heart failure, and most recently, epilepsy. Tamika is an involuntary pro at this, and I was so grateful to her that she was willing to share the story of each of these diagnoses that she advocated to find, and she was willing to give us advice and tips as we advocate for our own children in the medical world. I hope that you learned something new like I did and feel validated in the experiences that you've had that are similar to Tamika's and especially feeling dismissed by medical professionals. It happens far too often. The last section of this episode, Tamika shares her story of burnout after said advocacy and all that comes along with medical momming and her newfound passion in celebrating every medical mama inchstone in self-care. I feel like this is a great way to sum up what might be otherwise a pretty overwhelming episode with all that we're faced and kind of the burden we carry as we fight for and love our children. And I hope that you take some tips from that section too. We can all work on this, I'm sure of it. We have so much to learn. Let's dive in. Hi, Tamika. Welcome back to the show. Hi. Thank you. So uh, as you know, we get to talk in this episode all about medical advocacy. And I was so excited when we connected and you said you would be on the show. And I was reading through your posts and you were talking about, about this topic. And I was like, oh, we need to address this because it's so important. And a lot of us are, you know, facing this the situation of needing to advocate for our children all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's so applicable. And in one of your posts, I'll quote you, you said, I will always advocate and spread awareness for families who feel unheard when discussing concerns about their children with healthcare professionals. And I would love for you to kind of start out with telling us where that passion comes from and why you care so much about it. It is so hard sometimes. I know how frustrating it can be personally when you have concerns about your child and you feel like you're not being heard. You feel like you're being ignored. It's so meaningful to me personally because of what I went through with Evelyn and getting to her CHD diagnosis. So um, shortly after Evelyn was born, the bringing her home and dealing with the shock of her not having eyes, there were certain things as the weeks went on that I began to notice that I thought was strange, just not typical for an infant. 
And I knew even before saying some of the things out loud, I knew that it sounded crazy, but I also felt like something was wrong. So I was going to these specialty doctors. We were thrown into like all of these different specialty doctors with uh, genetics and, you know, ophthalmology and all of these different developmental um, pediatric folk and everything. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, we're already at a certain level of doctors here. So maybe it'll be easier somehow. And I'll just let them know. So I started expressing some concerns that I was having with Evely. And then she was just like, just very, what seemed like really low energy or just sleeping a lot. I would just have to wake her up to nurse her when she was awake. She was just miserable all the time. There wasn't a whole lot of, not a whole lot of, there wasn't any of the cooing or the smiles or the reaching or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So whenever I would bring up these concerns, well, she's blind. So she's not going to reach for an object that she can't see, or she's not going to do this or, you know, everything for infants is visual. So, you know, auditory, the things doesn't come in until later. And my thing was, if you're telling me that her only struggle is going to be blindness, then developmentally, we shouldn't be having any issues. At this point, a few months ahead, Evelyn's about three months old, and I had never seen Evelyn smile. So I'm telling them this. I've never seen her smile. And like I said, I know that these aren't real symptoms, so to speak. Like this isn't me saying, oh my gosh, she's sick or her skin is turning color or, you know, anything like that. But I knew that there was something going on. Like I told um, one of the specialty doctors, I was like, listen, special needs parenting is new to me, but parenting is not. Right. And there's something deeper here. I'm just not sure what it is. I can remember the moment that I saw Evelyn smile for the first time. It was in the middle of the night one night, and it wasn't even like a true smile, but just because her face just kind of looked like she was going to give a genuine smile. Like it was such a big deal. I was in tears. I woke my husband up, you know, in the middle of the night and I was like, oh my God, she smiled. So I'm thinking by this time, this shouldn't be a big deal, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So my husband and I decided to go on this trip and say, okay, well, everything has just been so overwhelming since Evelie was born with therapies, with early intervention, with all of these doctor visits. Let's just take a little trip. We'll get away. But I couldn't truly relax on the trip. Mm. You know how his moms are. We need peace of mind. (laughs) (laughs) We need peace of mind. So we get there. I'm talking about it. The majority of the ride there. (laughs) This is like four hours away from home. (laughs) So um, we spent like a day on the beach. And like I said, it was just like slept the entire time. 
And then when we got back, her little feet were just a tiny bit swollen, but you really couldn't tell. You had to look at it a certain way to be able to tell. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to call her pediatric doctor. And this is after hours and everything. So I called her pediatrician and got her pediatric doctor on the phone. And I was like, listen, I'm about to sound really crazy because everybody keeps making me feel like I'm crazy. I was like, but there's something going on with Evelyn and I cannot truly relax or get into the state that I need to be in to be on this vacation if I'm worried about this. Mm-hmm. And this was the first doctor that gave me the response that everybody should have said, <laughs> which was, well, Tamika, if you think something is wrong with Evelyn, then something's probably wrong with her. Oh, yeah. That is a good answer. <laughs> Yeah, I was <laughs> I like, applaud well, that doctor. <laughs> I know, I love him so much. So he said, "Okay, this is what we're gonna do. Where are you guys?" And I told him we were in Tidy Beach, Georgia. And he said, "Okay." He goes online. He said, "The closest hospital to you is in Savannah. I'm gonna go put in a few orders. Will you take her over there? We'll see what it is. We'll see if it's something that can wait until you guys come home, and we'll handle it then." Or if it can't, then we'll just deal with it. We'll go from there. And we got her loaded up in the car and took her to the hospital. And I remember saying to my husband on the way to the hospital, I was like, you know, this vacation is over, right? Like, mm. this is it. And this was our first day there. We hadn't even spent the first night there yet. Wow. And I said, you know, this vacation is over. Like, I feel it. Mm-hmm. And my husband's like, just relax until we have the information. And I was just like, this is it. Like, no, I already, yeah. I, this is it. What I did not know, or what I definitely did not expect was for them to tell me Evelyn was so close to death as she was. Oh my gosh. Because Evelyn did not display any traditional symptoms of heart failure. She didn't turn blue. She didn't sweat or anything like that when she was mm-hmm. nursing they went through like this whole list of, you know, symptoms Mm -hmm. that she should have displayed that she never did. And that is why that is so important to me. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I will always advocate for those parents because I think it is so important so important to trust the parents like Mm -hmm. yes medical doctor we know that we need medical doctors we need their we need their expertise we need them but nobody knows our babies better than we know our babies and we don't need a medical degree for that and I think that because we don't have that we are often overlooked and then Sometimes if it comes from certain people, it's overlooked even more. You know, being a woman of color, I I would always feel like I would just have to be so conscious about how I looked, even though I was mm. so exhausted and stuff like that. But oh, just man. to be taken seriously or just to be listened to at all. So That is why this is such a big deal to me. Advocacy is so near and dear to my heart because of that, because that wasn't the only time that's happened. Wow. That was the first time that Evelyn and I went through that, but it wasn't the last time, but there should have never been a first time. We shouldn't have to beg 
for screens. We shouldn't have to beg for exams. We shouldn't have to beg for tests. We should be able to go inside of a facility or a space and say, hey, something is going on and I need you to help me get to the bottom of it. And they need to do absolutely that. Yes. Yeah. Because we went through the whole thing again, getting to epilepsy. Wow. And Evelyn was losing skills, but because she never did anything that would make them say that it was a major skill. It was a major skill in our world. It was a major skill for her because of so many things that she had to overcome to be able to do those things. I was going to a neurologist and I was telling the neurologist, hey, I feel like something is going on because Evelyn was freestanding and I feel like we were making some really good progress with the physical therapist. And Sometimes there would be certain things that it would seem like one day Evelyn would just be like a rock star. And then the mm-hmm. next day it would be like almost as if she forgot. Wow. Just It was almost like we were reintroducing things to her over and over and over again. Yeah. And I was just like, something is going on. Something is mm-hmm. deeper. And then it went on with like the food. She was eating by mouth. She was still nursing. And those things began to slow. And then we began to use the G-tube more because initially the G-tube was just a tool just to be able to help her heal and rest after heart surgeries. So little did we know she would end up being completely dependent on the G-tube later. And one of the things that I still beat myself up about is, you know, not just being done with this particular doctor before I was and just going through the motions with this particular doctor, just going back and forth and back and forth and almost feeling like I'm having to plead a case, you know, that's, that's what it feels like. It almost feels like you're on trial and you're having to prove like why your child deserves to receive adequate care. And that's ridiculous. That is so ridiculous. Like that is beyond ridiculous. It like, it burns me up. It makes me so angry. There was one day I was just like, okay, I am done because it got to the point where we were completely starting over as far Mm. as skills and, you know, developmentally. And I said, okay, I, I can't do this anymore. Take her to another doctor that's three hours away. Mm. Tell the doctor okay, listen, this is what's been going on. I have not been heard. I've been screaming, like feels like to this mm-hmm. doctor for so long. I had to beg to have MRI done, had to beg for a certain testing that I never received. So just telling them my concerns off the top before even doing the test, you know, the doctor said, well, it sounds like she could possibly be having seizures. Oh, wow. And the thing that made it challenging with Evelyn is epilepsy doesn't look the same for everybody. And I know that when we generally think about epilepsy, we think about body convulsions and we think about those type things, but that's not what epilepsy looked like for Evelyn. So Evelyn was uh, having something called focal seizures. And the way that you would generally detect focal seizures is through your eyes. Oh my gosh. But my child doesn't have eyes. Wow. So there was no way 
for us to know other than her mama was telling them. <laughs> I was like, I know. Oh my gosh. Oh. Her mama was telling them that something was going on. Yes. So oh yeah, gosh. she was having these and I was like, of course, this is the type of seizure she would. <laughs> make sense. The kind that you can't tell except for. So, but we would always, and, and that was the thing we had to learn what these seizures looked like for Evelyn, and this was really really difficult we were practically uh, recording her around the clock just wow. for the smallest changes we were re-watching and watching videos constantly of her just mm. being um, and we finally finally figured out what that looks like for her mm. so uh, that is why advocating is like so important to me mm -hmm. trusting your gut is just so important to me because just like Evelyn's pediatric doctor said if you the mom the caregiver thinks that something is wrong something is probably wrong yes yeah oh I gosh, just yeah I, and I just I really hate it for we're all different personality types. Mm -hmm. So be loud or say whatever you need to say isn't always the easiest thing mm -hmm. to do. And it, it frustrates me so much because sometimes I just want to be her mom. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm like over being a medical mom, but it has absolutely nothing to do with her. Like not mm -hmm. in sense that I would change anything about her mm -hmm. not in a sense that I would do anything differently just in the sense that I wish that I could just sit back enjoy her yeah and she be automatically provided the care that she deserved yeah. and me not have to you know be an advocate so much I would love to mm. just be her mom yes. <laughs> instead of and you know instead of just fighting all of the time because that's what I feel like that's what I'm constantly doing because yeah. it's either a care provider trying to get you know what you need or or testing or medication or whatever it is mm. or insurance companies to get medication covered or insurance covered and I feel like we're just always on trial yeah, like that's that's how it feels. It feels like we're always on trial to prove why our children are deserving of this piece of equipment or this right. medication or this test when they should just do it yes. because that's their job. It's like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like you do the test and it comes out fine. And it right. really is like baffling. Like, why do you care? Like we're paying for it or insurance is paying for it. There is no loss for them. There is really no excuse for it. And I, I don't know, when you talk about how you just want to be Evelie's mom, like I have, you know, I haven't had those profound experiences you have in advocating, but even just the pressure of knowing that your mom gut is so crucial to their care. It's I feel a like lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot. Like my son, I was pregnant with him and we found out that he had these profound birth defects and that one in particular was really dangerous and they weren't sure if it would be safer for him to be delivered vaginally or via mm -hmm. C-section. And they said, it's up to you. 
And I was like, well, I mean, like, you're the doctor. Like, you know, what's safe? And like, we just really don't know. But it's a dangerous thing either way. And you need to make the call. And just that kind of pressure is like, no parent should be given that. But here we are. Yeah. You know, yeah, it is so heavy. We love them so much. I know. And you want to make the right decision every single time. And when you feel like you don't, in my case, like I dealt with with the neurologist here. Mm. And then here we are. This was going on in, you know, 2018, 2019. And here we are 2021. And I'm still beating myself up about it because I'm like, okay, well, if I had made the decision to just leave and go elsewhere sooner, would she still be eating? Would she be standing still? Would she be, you know, maybe even taking steps by now, even though, you know, it's something that doctors say, you know, may or may not happen, which is another frustrating thing about having a child that's undiagnosed. They can't tell you anything developmentally. Right. Like, well, will she walk or talk? Oh, well, maybe. Well, we don't know. It's probably unlikely. Like, that's the type of things. Like, what do you mean, probably unlikely? Like, why? <laughs> Define like, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just, it's really frustrating. It's a lot of pressure. It's heavy. And motherhood is heavy enough. Right. <laughs> so motherhood, motherhood is heavy enough. And then you throw in all of these other things. And now you have to be, you know, mom and nurse and advocate mm-hmm. so. and I bet that that experience having like all of those experiences where you know with her heart and her epilepsy where you could say wow I'm so glad that I was you know in tune with her and knew that these things were happening that I was able to advocate her and she's alive because of it like that's so amazing but then on like the other side of that to be like oh, but I should have advocated harder or I should have been more aggressive in getting that second mm-hmm. opinion sooner and look yeah. at these things that maybe she'd be doing. Like, I'm sure that all of those things kind of, you know, they all contribute towards your passion of the importance yeah. of advocating and not being yes. ashamed and not being timid and be like, I'm the mom. No, yeah, you let them know, like, I am the mom because even with the the sleep apnea it was a, it was a very similar situation it was just we had a, a doctor that was just like okay well let me just he just kind of caved a little sooner than the other doctors did mm-hmm. but it was the same thing is it's like when your child has especially when they have multiple diagnoses mm-hmm. it is so they will sweep everything you know that way mm-hmm. so i'm like okay here we are close to 4 years of no sleeping and the whole entire time they're saying you know you know her sleep rhythm she doesn't have eyes her her body doesn't produce melatonin naturally so she you know she doesn't know night from day and you know this 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 and I'm like okay well even when she does fall asleep like she's not sleeping like y'all aren't hearing me I'm not saying that she's up all night and sleeping all day I'm saying she's not sleeping (laughs) which means I'm not sleeping so sure enough she ended up being diagnosed with sleep apnea and Evelyn her airway was collapsing multiple times per hour at night so I'm sitting up here like (laughs) 
Like, what is it going to take? Like, how many times do I have to do this? Like, how many times am I going to have to say, hey, something's wrong without you looking at, you know, all of her other diagnoses Mm -hmm. and just, you know, not looking at her as a whole. Mm -hmm. So here we are almost two years later and she's sleeping much better and she is sleeping at night, but I'm still not really able to get the rest that I really need because there's so many times that things have gone on with her and it has been overlooked or missed. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like on like, edge yeah, all the time. It's like all on you. I, you know, even with these rare syndromes, like overall diagnoses for my son, they'll say, oh, well, he should be seen by neurosurgery or he should be seen by ENT. Like we kind of had these doctors in place where they just sent us after he yeah. was released from the NICU. And so to not have like any of that, like you were you're discovering each of these areas as they come like no wonder you feel like you can't you can't rest like you're just always waiting for the next thing that you need to catch and then to like fight for like crazy fight for it yeah yeah it's exhausting it's so exhausting and so frustrating Mm -hmm. yeah but I will fight for her and every other child like her until the end like I will never stop fighting for them because they deserve it Mm -hmm. they absolutely deserve it yeah Yes. And that leads really well into our kind of our second point of remember your why. Yeah. So what would you say about that? Advocating is exhausting and you can burn out on this journey because like I said, you feel it's a constant fight and you get Mm -hmm. tired of fighting in Mm -hmm. any situation, in any type of, you know, relationship, you get tired of it. Mm -hmm. If you have a friend that you're constantly fighting with, you're probably not going to be friends with that person for too long or spouse or whatever, whatever type of relationship, if there's a strain on it and there's a strain on that relationship for so long, you get tired and you get burned out, but we cannot do that in this situation. We absolutely have to constantly remind ourselves why we do this and who we're doing it for so that we can tap into that strength and to be able to keep going, to be able to keep moving, to be able to keep fighting, just being consistent, just keep going until you get the results that you are satisfied with. Just Mm -hmm. remembering to be persistent, just patience, just just hanging on. And I'm not saying in the process of remembering your why that you're not allowed to be frustrated or any of those things. I'm saying feel all of those things, but once you're done feeling all of those things, you jump right back into the ring and you put your gloves back on and you get back to fighting because we have to keep fighting for them because they deserve adequate care. They deserve to be able to reach their full potential, no matter what the diagnosis are, no matter what you know, doctors or specialists says, you know, what they probably might do. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to keep going for them. So when Mm -hmm. you're feeling, you know, tired, like I'm right there with you. I get it. I get really, really tired too. You know, do whatever you need to do to work through that. If you need to scream or, or cry or, you know, punch something, a punching bag, exercise or or whatever it is that you need to do to work through that moment during that time but just remind yourself who you're fighting for in the first place 
I think that keeping that in mind makes the fight just a little bit more doable. Mm. You're just like, okay, I got to do this because I have to speak up for her and I have to speak up for children like her and I have to speak up for families like ours because I don't want the next family. I don't want it to be this hard for the mm-hmm. next family. I don't want the next family to have to be begging for EEGs and MRIs and, and things like that. So if I need to go in there and act a little crazy so that the next time they take the next mom a little bit seriously, <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll be willing to take one for the team. <laughs> yes. I love picturing that too. I didn't even think of it that way because I think, you know, every time these stories happen, we're like, where the doctors actually listen to you and you finally get her heart looked into and find things like that they'll be like, oh my gosh, maybe I should start listening to the parents a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure that was really, hopefully life-changing for these doctors that were involved where they could see that in action. Yeah. Well, I sent a few of them that were in there in South Carolina. Some of the hospital systems have, you know, the online, my chart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have definitely sent out several letters saying, hey, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe we could have gotten to this sooner if you had taken me seriously Mm -hmm. or just please, you know, in the future, if a parent says that they think something is going on, please, please, please like listen to them because what we've had to endure and the fight that we've had to watch our daughter fight, Mm -hmm. it should not have gone there. It should not have gotten that far. I hope that they actually take heed, that they actually Mm -hmm. listen, and that when parents are going in and expressing concerns, that they are being taken more seriously. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good piece of advice too, you know, for all of us to be helping each other kind of pave the way. You know, those kind of emails are probably uncomfortable to write. And, you know, especially those of us that are like more soft-spoken or, you know, don't like confrontation might shy away from something like that. But like, that could be really impactful for future parents going through that same system and going through those same doctors. And I think that'd be really cool for all of us to try to do. Like if you are advocating and they're not listening and you finally get answers to go back to that doctor and say, hey, that wasn't okay. And, you know, look what happened and you need to listen to other parents. And you can say it in a nice, respectful way, but like, you know, to call them out about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely did that with the neurologist that we were dealing with here. And I feel like I did it in a, you know, in a respectable way. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those times where I just really had to give myself that cooling off period before Mm -hmm. addressing the doctor about it, because I don't want to act off of emotion and then my whole point or what I'm trying to do gets overshadowed because, you know, I was so busy being emotional about it that Mm -hmm. it became more challenging for my point to get across. So I had to give myself that cool that because I was very angry. I'm going to be very honest with you. I was extremely angry with this doctor. Mm -hmm. So what I did was when I've had all of the information and I had the medication that Evelyn would be needing, and I had all of the results and stuff, I just basically forwarded it to her and mm-hmm. said, hey, 
these are the results that I got when I went to get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. And I just really hope you seeing this will encourage you to listen to the next mom that comes in Mm -hmm. and say, you know, I feel like my child is regressing. So I hope that the next mom that went to that doctor Mm -hmm. and expressed any type of concern, I really, really hope that she was provided the care that her child Mm -hmm. deserved to receive. So that's my hope. And that is why I have to remember why I'm doing it and remember Mm -hmm. to try not to be too emotional in these situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. And I would love to wrap up with our last point of celebrating all of the inch stones, which I'm, I'm assuming most parents, you know, in our realm have heard the word inch stones, but just in case, would you like to define that? <laughs> yeah. So the inch stones, you know, we always make a big deal about these milestones for typically growing kids, but getting to these milestones can look different for children with different challenges. And every little bit is always worth celebrating. Um, I think it is so important to remember to celebrate those inch stones and not even just for our children, like for ourselves as well. I think as moms, we deserve to celebrate these inch stones that we are able to overcome, especially as medical moms and as caregivers, there's so much that comes, you know, with the journey and we just kind of get lost in it. Mm -hmm. And we oftentimes lose ourselves in it because it's so demanding. It's demanding of almost every piece of us. Mm -hmm. So we celebrate inch stones with our kids But I also would love to see the trend of medical moms celebrating inch stones, whether one of the things that you really struggle with is separation anxiety, which is something that I have a really hard time with when I'm away from my children, especially Evelyn, because she can't communicate certain things because of her needs, she requires full care. So it's really hard to be away from her. So when you can work up to those moments to do little things for yourself, I think that that should be celebrated as well. I think that when we are taking care of little pieces of ourselves, I think that we should definitely like take pictures and post them and be happy and proud of ourselves as well, because we're working really, really hard to be able to do those things. We're working really, really hard to have a night out with a girlfriend or, you know, have a coffee anymore. There's so much like this whole ordeal for us to even be able to step outside of the home for a moment to be away from our children. So even without the anxiety, without the depression, without the exhaustion, without the worry, without the fear, without all of those things, it's a whole production just to be away from them because you have to make sure everything is set up just right for them, for you to be away from them. So I think that just that in itself, and then you're fighting through all of those other things to have. So if you stepped out and went and had a coffee with your girlfriend or went and got your nails done or your hair done or had a meal by yourself, like do it unapologetically and be proud of yourself 
and celebrate those medical mom inch stones as well. Like that, that's something that I have been trying to do personally. Mm -hmm. I was just so tired. And then you just get to the point where you're just like, no, just so much for me to do in order to leave. So is it even worth it? Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> and it's almost like advocating for yourself. For yourself. Right. Like, don't yes. forget to advocate for mom. Don't forget <laughs> to advocate for mom. So when I say inch stones are to be celebrated, yes, you know, we celebrate every part of the journey with our children. But in this particular conversation, for this conversation, I am speaking about the moms. I'm speaking about the primary caregivers because mm -hmm. we pour and pour and pour and pour and pour, but we don't feel. So mm -hmm. I think it's so important to remember to take those moments to feel, to feel yourself, to do whatever it is, any little things and it's mm -hmm. big steps inch stones so you, just do it. <laughs> you do it little little by little and you work your way to a point where you can do it and allow your children to be able to see you taking care of yourself so that they're not like me in their 30s trying to figure it out and burn mm -hmm. out or end up like me in the doctor's office with inflamed chest walls from emotional stress that that's what they yeah. said caused it so I was dealing with these really bad chest pains and it just like everything else we just kind of oh okay well that hurt and then just kind of ignored it for a while mm -hmm. because because I have all this other stuff going on I don't have time to be dealing with this yeah so it's <laughs> <laughs> yes, like I can't have something <laughs> so it just got worse and it got worse and it got worse and it got really bad to the point where my chest was hurting so bad that I couldn't sleep so I ended up going to the doctor about it and learned that um, I had inflammation in the chest walls. And that was a real eye-opening moment for me. Mm. Like, okay, you have to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Not optional. It's not optional. You don't get to say, I'm just going to pour and pour and pour mm -hmm. and pour and not feel yeah. Like, it never should be optional. Like it never really is. But until you have something like that happen or maybe like mental breakdown or something, mm -hmm. it kind of feels optional. I think we treat it that way a lot of the time, but it really should not be. It should never yeah, be no, optional. I definitely treated it that way. Mm -hmm. I was just like, okay, well, this is just it. I'm just, you know, going to take care of my kids and that's it. Mm -hmm. Like, and once this happens, that was me. That was a mindset that I had that I really had to let go of. Like, oh, well, once things get easier or once certain things on this journey with Evely are a bit smoother or once this and this and this happens. And then that whole like reality of sweetheart, this is it. Like mm -hmm. this, this is your life. Like, no, you got to figure this out now mm -hmm. because it's affecting you now. Mm -hmm. So you have to take care of yourself now so that you can continue to be mom caregiver and mm -hmm. all the things. And it's a learning mm -hmm. curve. I'm not going to sit up here and act like I had those chest pains. And then the next thing you know, I was this self-care guru or something like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no, I am still like figuring it all out. I'm still working through anxiety when I'm not there. So I'm still working through fear. I'm mm -hmm. still working through 
isolation because nobody really understands because it's yeah. not this whole, well, just get a babysitter because it's not yeah. that easy. Like, yes. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's not that simple. So I'm still working on that. I'm still mm-hmm. learning, but you know, for anybody that's listening that may have not made that first step, medical mom inch stones and self-care and reflection and all of those things like here it is if you need permission Mm. do it because you deserve it we deserve it Mm. we work so hard and our Mm. kids deserve it Mm -hmm. our kids deserve us to be in a good mental space our kids deserve us to be in a good physical space. I can't take mm-hmm. care of Evelyn if I'm not physically 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, I love that so much. And I feel like that's a really awesome note to end on. Like, you know, we we talked a lot about advocating for our children and how important they are. And I love that we kind of ended with and us and mm-hmm. to celebrate all the progress we make in that. And oh, I love okay. on your Instagram where you do celebrate those inch stones as a medical mama, not just mm-hmm. about your child. And I think that's so powerful. And I think the more that we all are doing that kind of thing, you know, the more it spreads where we feel permission to not only work on ourselves and to make those inch stones, but then to celebrate them. And I, I think that's so great. So thank you so much for coming on and yes, thank you giving so much us so much wisdom. Me. Oh, <laughs> You're amazing. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. Thank you. You can find Tamika talking about advocacy and celebrating her own medical mama inchstones on Instagram at the Diaz Girls. You can also find me on Instagram sharing episodes and snippets of our life at the underscore rare underscore life. And I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. So way back in season two, there was a fantastic episode with mom, Jenny McLeland, all about advocating for adjustments to state policies that directly affect our children. And it is not as boring as it sounds, I promise. It really is an intriguing one and a great follow-up to this awesome episode about medical advocacy. So I'll put a link to that one in the show notes as well if you want to go check it out. Join me next week for a conversation about educational advocacy for our children with IEP expert and coach, Katherine Witcher. See you then.